Over the last couple of weeks, I've been sharing with you uh, a series on breakout, and really it started in January, uh, really with the whole month where we talked about being under the influence of the Holy Spirit, and then the Lord began to speak some things to me and stir up some things. If you've missed any of the messages, I would encourage you to go check them out. Um, but uh, I thought that I had finished last week uh, with breakout, and, it, and I am, in a way, done with what I was communicating, but the Lord just dropped a, a word in my heart. Uh, and when I say a word, I literally mean a word. In my heart, and my thought was, what am I supposed to do with that? Because <laughs> it was a broad subject, and really, how does that fit within what I believe the Lord is doing right now within the church and within us? And so I just kind of kept praying about it, kept praying about it, kept praying about it. I'm like, all right, Lord, Sunday's coming. I would appreciate a little help, a little more direction than just one word. And, uh, and typically what happens with me, uh, and I'm not saying this is the way the Lord works with everybody, but the way it works with me is I get a burden on my heart for something. Like, you know, God will just kind of put something on me and it just kind of sits on me. I don't know how else to say it. And, and so then I begin to pray and I begin to move in a, that direction. And typically that's how I determine what I'm preaching. It's like, what, what do I feel burdened about in my heart? And, uh, and so this week I've kind of carried this word kind of like a burden, but I just didn't know what to do with it. And, um, and so over the last couple of weeks and, you know, uh, we've been talking about seeing God break out. I've shared with you and I'm not going to recap any of it really, but I basically have shared with you the thought and really the phrase that the Lord gave me one, one night during our 21 days of prayer is that God wasn't just the God of breakthrough, but he's the God of breakout and breakout is different. Breakthrough means you survived. You made it to the other side. Things are okay. Breakout means I'm never going back. Like I, like that, that, that sign sealed delivered that chapter is over and we're moving forward. And, you know, and obviously I don't know how many of you have heard or have paid attention this week over the last week, week and a half, but God is moving in our nation. Uh, not just in Asbury, although that's kind of seems to be the catalyst, if you will. But how many of you remember a couple of weeks ago, we had a little bit of something different happening in some of our services too. And that's not to say that anything, I'm just telling you, it's broader than just Asbury is that God is, mo is moving upon anyone who's willing to receive. Um, and, and I believe that this is, uh, just for lack of a better term, I think it's God's response to his people. Um, you know, and any time that we get into uh, cultural things where we see, uh, well, I'll say it this way, is that we can talk about revival, we can pray about revival, and I think we should, but there are some characteristics that it takes to have revival, and sometimes we throw that word around like, oh, I just want a touch from God. Okay, but a real revival means you don't go back. It means there's a, it's a marked difference in your life. Like I was this way until this moment and then everything shifted. And sometimes we, we like to, I'll say it this way, we like to experience a revival. We don't want to live it out many times. And so today I actually want to share some things with you. And so I'll go ahead and give you my one word, which you're going to be thrilled when I tell it to you. But this is actually key to experiencing a genuine, sustainable move of God. Because you can come into a service like this, and you can get the holy goosebumps. You can be like, oh, the presence of God is here. You can get a, you know, a shiver run up and down your spine, and you can be like, oh, I experienced God. But then you can walk out these doors and yet not be changed. Because you had an experience, but you didn't have this other needed ingredient that was required to sustain what God wanted to do in your life. And so, I, you know, and look, and I am all about experiencing the presence of God. I think we have a lack of experiencing God's presence in most churches and in most Christians' lives outside of church. Like, you can experience God on Tuesday, too. 
Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Like God will move in every day that ends in Y. How about that? But the word that the Lord dropped into my heart this week was repentance. And I'm like, God, that's really broad. Like, I don't know where to go. Like, I don't know where to, I mean, yeah, I know that I know the concept. I can teach repent, but what are you wanting me to share? Like what specifically, what vein are you wanting me to go in? And so today I want to share some things about it. I'm going to share a, a story with you uh, from the book of Acts. And it's going to be a, a bit of a different story for some of you. Some of you are going to be like, that's in the Bible. But it really is in the Bible. It's actually in Acts chapter 8. And I'm going to read a portion of scripture here. And I'm going to kind of give you some dialogue. And then I'm going to get to where I believe that the Lord, because um, really as I was praying, this scripture passage, this story is what the Lord dropped in my heart. And I was like, that's it. It's like, I don't know how to explain it, but because it's not something that hits me here. It's just something settles on the inside. I can't explain it, but it's just like, it's like when you put a key in a door and it unlocks and it just says, click. That's the way it feels for me sometimes. Something just clicks in me and I'm like, that's what the Lord wants to say. And, um, and so I'm going to read this passage of scripture and you'll have to stick with me. Just follow along for a few minutes here and then we'll get to how this applies to you because you're going to be like, I'm not this guy, but. There's just some principles here that I want to point out. And so it starts in Acts chapter 8. I'm going to start in verse 14. It'll be up on the screens for you as well. But it says, when the, people, or when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John. And it says, as soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. It says, the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. For they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. It says, then Peter and John laid their hands on these believers and they received the Holy Spirit. So God is moving. God is working. So the, the Holy Spirit's getting introduced to a new group, group of people, if you will. And then it says, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given when the apostles laid their hands on people, he offered them money to buy this power. Kind of interesting. When Simon saw something, he said, I want that. Can I buy that? Like, I need more of that. Now, there's some reasons why he says this. And so, he, so he says he offers them money to buy the power, which is the power of the Holy Spirit. And it says, let me have this power too, he exclaimed, so that when I lay my hands on people, they will receive the Holy Spirit. Now, how many of you know from Scripture that the Bible says when you lay hands upon somebody that you can impart the Holy Spirit if you have the Holy Spirit upon you? How many of you know that? I mean, it's scriptural. You can go read your Bible and find out I'm not making it up. He said, if we possess the Holy Spirit, the Bible says freely we've received, freely we should give, right? And yet... Here, this, and you'll see the dialogue here in a moment. I want to give you a little bit, but, but Simon sees this moment. He sees something happening. Now, this is different than Simon Peter. This is actually Simon the sorcerer. And so if you're thinking about, let me just kind of break it down a little bit for you. I'll show you this scripturally. He was a sorcerer. In other words, he was like a, a, a magician in a way. And so he sees the Holy Spirit come upon people. Things begin to happen for them. Well, he's used his sorcery. He's used his witchcraft to accomplish these things. He actually has created a reputation in the community. Let me just read you the scriptures. If we jump back up to verse 9 and 10, it says, A man named Simon had been a sorcerer there for many years, amazing the people of Samaria and claiming to be someone great. 
Now, this is important. It's one thing when God says somebody's great. It's another thing when you walk around saying, I'm special. I'm great. Right? But yet, he was a sorcerer and he was able to convince the people by things that he did that he was somebody. And it goes on and says that everyone from the least to the greatest often spoke of him as the great one, the power of God. He might have a little ego. Just going out on a limb there. If everyone... Goes, if you're walking around, everybody's like, oh, he has the power of God. And then you come in, in contact and encounter the real presence of God. You have an identity crisis. Because that's God and I'm not. But I need that to keep up with my reputation. So how can I get that? Well, let me buy it. And so he's kind of, in a, in a sense, he's scrambling. And so here's one of my encouragements for you. You know, even when we're still in line, I want you to keep in mind what we've been talking about. I've actually entitled this as Breakout Part 3, which I thought I was just Part 2, but this is actually an important element because you can get broke out and go right back into jail too. So I don't want to go back to what God broke me out of. So how do I do that? So that's what this is really all about. Um, And and so I want to give you a little beware statement. Is that you need to be aware of this is that you can be seeking right things. And have an ulterior motive. You can say, I want all that God has for me, but this is the result I want to come from it. What if God doesn't want to fit in your box? What if God actually wants to wreck you? And you're like, that sounds crazy. It's ultimate trust. And so many times we want to say, well, God, I want you to move upon me because I want you to fix this. I want you to heal that. I want you to to take care of this problem. And so we give criteria to the way God can move as to just saying, God, you know what? You're God and I'm not. And I'm going to trust that you know what is best for me. And so we have to remove the limitations off of what God wants to do in us. Because here's the thing. We're broken in places and in ways that we don't even know. And only God and the, and the ministry of the Holy Spirit is going to be able to fix those areas of our life. And it's only when we get those things fixed that we can really stay in a, in a season and in a life where God has gotten us out of some things where we never will return. And so this is important. And so, we, and so if, you, if you're unaware, let me just help you. Uh, the word ulterior just means secret, hidden, or a secondary motive. In other words, you're believing God here for something, but there's an undercurrent of saying, God, I want all that you have for me as long as you do what I want you to do. As long as you do it the way that I want you to do it, as long as you will will cooperate, as long as you don't make me uncomfortable, I'm open to you. Because, see, that's what Simon is doing here. Because if you go and read these passages between verse 10... And verse 14, it says that Simon heard and believed. He was baptized. So he's a Christian. He's part of the church. But yet something happened and clicked in him where he reverted back to an old way. Because why? He had a reputation. He was the great one. And he sees the apostles start laying their hands on people. The Holy Spirit starts to move. And he's like, "Uh uh-oh, I... What started in the spirit stepped over into the flesh real quick. And see, and we all have a flesh that we've got to deal with. I say this many times, but motive matters. Motive 
really matters. So my question for you, one of my questions for you today is this, is why are you believing for a breakout? What's your why? Your why matters. Is it just so that you can get what you think needs to be fixed, fixed? Is it just so that you can get that promotion? Is it just so that you can get that healing? Or are you just looking for that, 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 that next place that, that you think that you need to be with God? Like, what's your why? Because why matters to God? Because here's the thing that we see. The apostles were laying hands on people. The Holy Spirit is being ministered to people. And right in the midst of that, Simon says, I want that. I need that. I, but not because, I mean, let's just make it very practical. Simon made money off of his sorcery. This was his income. Well, the problem with if God shows up and the power of the Holy Spirit shows up, all of a sudden Simon is out of a job. And all of a sudden he had trusted Jesus, but he trusted his money a little more. And he knew how he got his money. And so now he says, man, I, to make money, I got to spend some money. And so in this moment, his why mattered. Because see, what was a free gift to everybody in that moment? And we'll pick up here. Oh, well, let me say this before I move on, before I read the scripture. We have to be careful when we ask the Lord to move upon our life. That it's not just so that we can get better, so we can go back to normal. Like a real revival, it changes you at a very core level. Because everybody can pray and say, oh, I want what's happening at Asbury. You can have it right now. You don't want to know what it takes to have revival? You. You and the Holy Spirit. That's all it takes. Like, oh, but man, but if I had, if I had somebody who could pray for me. You have access to the throne room of God. All spiritual blessings have been given to you in Christ, in heavenly places. In other words, if it's in heaven, it belongs to you right now. Amen. So you lack nothing to get what God has for you. Besides maybe a little desire. And maybe there's some heart conditions that need to be adjusted. Because this is what Simon needed. He, he needed some tweaks. He needed some adjustments to really his desire. So in Acts, continuing in Acts 8, picking up in verse 20, Peter responds to Simon because he says, hey, let me have this power. So that when I lay my hands, it sounds, because here's the thing, what Simon said sounded right. We can say the right things. We can pray the right things. But if our heart is wrong, if, if our motives are wrong, if our, if our desires are off, we'll get a different response from the Lord than yes. Amen. As a matter of fact, the book of James tells us is that many times we don't get an answer because we ask amiss. In other words, we're aiming at the wrong target. Hello. I'm aiming at this target and God's saying, but that's the one I got for you. Right so Peter responds and says, pretty sharp here. He says, may your money be destroyed with you. For thinking that God's gift can be bought. Now think about this. Let your money be destroyed with you. It's not just, you're going to lose all your money. He's, oh no, this, this, this heart issue you got, it's about to destroy everything. That's a powerful statement. 
says, may your money be destroyed with you for thinking that God's gift can be bought. You can have no part in this. For your heart is not right with God. And he says, repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive your evil thoughts. For I can see that you are full of bitter jealousy and are held captive by sin. I know this is a mouthful. And I know that even for some of you, and I highlighted the words up there, repent of your wickedness. I want to define wickedness for you. Because it actually kind of surprised me when I went and, be quiet, Siri. When I went and was studying this and reading through various things this week, this is the way that one commentator defined wickedness. He says it's a determination to continue in a direction that we know is wrong. Wickedness is to a determination. In other words, I am determined to keep going the way that I'm going. It says it is sin which no longer which which it it is sin which we no longer desire to change and want God to approve it and bless it anyways. Well, I know what the Bible says, but well, I, I know the Holy Spirit convicted me about that, but He understands. Let me just help you. No, he doesn't. Let me just drive this a little bit deeper. The Bible doesn't say that you're accountable for every scripture in the Bible. But it does say that you are accountable for everything that you know. So when you get to heaven, God is not going to say, let me find the most obscure scripture I can find that I know that you never paid attention to. And be like, oh, he's going to say, let's talk about what you already knew. Did you walk in the truth that you knew? That's the standard the Bible says that we will actually be held account to. And so wickedness, because I'm sure when I say wickedness, your mind goes to somebody else. To some other activity like, oh, I don't do that. I don't go there. I, don't, you know, I used to do some of them things, but I don't do that no more. Wickedness is a determination to continue in a direction that we know is wrong. Romans chapter 14, verse 29 says it this way. If it is sin for you, if you have a conviction in your heart about something and you do it for you, that's sin. Now, here's the thing. I can't take my conviction and put it on Mr. Ray. Now, there are standards in the word of God that are very clear. Those are non-negotiables, by the way. We don't get to barter with God. What he calls the sin is sin. But if the Lord puts something on me, maybe because of the way of my personality... Like, I'll give you an example of this in my own life. I can be a very black and white person. I'm all or nothing. I can, I can be fairly, uh, I can lean a bit to an addictive personality. Like, what does that mean? It means I can become obsessed with things. I can become very one-track minded. And so there are some things for me that don't violate Scripture, but the Holy Spirit says you can't do that. I'll just give you a goofy example. When I was in middle school, I used to gamble on sports games. I was an entrepreneur, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Let's make some money. Got a, It's pizza day. I need to double up. I have never, when I say I have never won a bet. Ever. I'm convinced that the Lord's like, you can't dabble in that. And if you win... Mm -mm. All right, we gonna have a fight. 
Now, I'm just being honest with you. But I know those things about me. And there are some things that the Lord knows about me. And there's things he knows about you that he's going to speak to outside of what even what scripture speaks to. Because sometimes we say, oh, but the Bible doesn't say that, so I'm good. Okay, but what is the Holy Spirit speaking to you? Yes, there's a standard in scripture, but we also have been given the spirit of Christ on the inside of us that we get convicted by. And there's a difference. And we'll talk about these things. God will never condemn you, but he will say, don't touch that. Don't do that. Don't say that. So picking back up in verse 24, Simon responds and says, pray to the Lord for me. That these terrible things you said won't happen to me. Now, I don't believe that any of you are involved in sorcery, witchcraft, all of these types of things. But I think we have more in common with Simon than his occupation. Because what happens here is that Simon actually responds. He's confronted with truth. His heart is exposed, which by the way, the Bible exposes our hearts. Right? Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is quick, powerful. Right? It divides all the way down to the soul, the spirit. The Amplified adds that it, it, can, it will divide between your motives and your actions. I say it this way, is that the Bible will tell you why you do what you do. The Bible will tell you why you say what you say. The, the Bible will tell you why you feel what you feel. Well, we have an opportunity in those moments. It's a crossroads. Am I going to go this way? Am I going to go that way? Because now when conviction comes, I'm given a decision. Go my way or let the Holy Spirit lead me. And I think it's interesting here that what Simon doesn't do is, I mean, Simon asked for prayer. Hey, that's a good thing. We ought to ask for prayer. Simon says, hey, man, pray that these things don't happen to me. But how many of you realize that Simon missed the whole assignment? What was the assignment? Repent. So he sidesteps the Holy Spirit. He asks for the Holy Spirit and then he sidesteps the Holy Spirit. Because there was the challenge that he had to repent. And so what he actually did is he said, I don't want the consequences of my actions, but I don't want to change. Just get me off the hook. One commentator that I was reading this week says that just as it is possible to have a belief in Christ as Lord and Savior and not be filled with his spirit, it is also possible to want his spirit's power uh, for our own self-controlled lives without repentance and total commitment to the Lord. And he says that neither will work. I'm going to read this middle part again, is that it is possible to want the spirit's power for our own self-controlled lives without repentance. In other words, you can have a right, you can be seeking the right thing with an ulterior motive. God, I, I, I just want you to make me happy. I just want you to make me fulfilled. I want my marriage to work. I'm, I'm tired of being bitter. You know, you can pursue those things instead of pursuing the thing. Because if you get Jesus, he can take care of all those other things. 
The problem is we want to we want to have an issue based relationship with God where it's like, Jesus, this is my issue. Just fix my issue. How many of you know that Jesus did not die for your issues? He died for you. There's a difference. Jesus will deal with our issues. Jesus will help with our issues. He's not after our issues. He's after us. He's after our hearts. Why? Because your heart is what determines your experience, not your issues. You can have a long list of issues, but if you can let the Lord work in your heart, those issues will take care of themselves. And we're over here trying to work on the issues, work on the issues, work on the issues. When what we should be doing is, Holy Spirit, whatever you want for me. Whatever you have, Holy Spirit, I'm just opening myself up wide. No preconceived ideas, no ulterior motive. Holy Spirit, if my motives are off, I need you to help me. See, it's the pursuit of God, not his power that counts. And if we're not careful, we can get off just a little bit. You know, if you, if you started a journey and you were just two degrees off, you're just drifting just a little bit. Not, not, I mean, you might get to the edge of the road two degrees off. But it wouldn't take you very long to get going down the road before that two degrees would have you in the ditch or off in the trees in a wreck. Why? Because it was off two degrees. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit. I mean, in John 14, he is our guide. He's the one that tells us, hey, you're drifting. The Holy Spirit's like those rumble strips on the highway. Let me get back. I used to be mean to Dare when we were on trips. Because she'd fall asleep. I'm like, how dare you? You know. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. So are you awake? Oh, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm a good husband. I just want y'all to know. I'm a good husband. No, but the Holy Spirit will act like those rumble strips. And you know what happens if you ignore the, the rumble strips? There's a guardrail. The Holy Spirit will act as your guardrail. You know what comes before the tree line? The ditch. The Holy Spirit will act as your ditch too. And then you're going to smack a tree and be like, Holy Spirit, why don't you tell me? <laughs> Let me remind you about the ditch that you blew through. Let me remind you about the guardrail that you blew through. Let me remind you about the, the, the rumble strip that you blew through. Because I was trying to talk. The problem was you wasn't listening. Or maybe you listened, but you just didn't care. So it's the pursuit of God, not just his power. Here's the thing. If you get God, you get his power. But so many times we pursue what God does instead of pursuing him. Pursuing what God does will marginally change your life. It will fix certain things. You can come to church. You can listen to things and your life will get better. Jesus did not die for us so we could get better. He didn't. He came so that we could be made new. And even as we serve the Lord, we can kind of get comfortable in what we know. And comfortable in how God works and how God moves. But see, we we really desire that we would be a people that seeks God for all the right reasons. 
That's my prayer for you. Is that you would see God for all the right reasons. Doesn't mean that we're perfect. We'll never be perfect this side of heaven. I've tried and I have failed miserably. So if that's you, welcome to the club. But understanding that I'm not perfect is not an excuse to not try. Let me say it another way. It's not an excuse to not be self-aware. It's not an excuse for me to excuse certain things. And just be like, well, you know, that's just who I am. No, that's who you've, by experience, been created to be. God did not create you that way. Your DNA may have been programmed a certain way by your ancestors. But the Bible says you have new DNA in Christ. You've been reprogrammed in the image and the likeness of Christ. So if you want to walk in his way, you want to walk in his wisdom, you want to walk in his ability, you want to walk in his power, which identity are you going to line up with? Because you can choose the one you were born into. Let me say it this way. You can choose the one you were birthed into, or you can choose to be identified by the one that you've been born again into. And there's a difference. A couple of weeks ago, I talked about your mind and your thoughts and how you're going to have to change some things in, in your opinions. And then that inner talk, if you're really going to step into what God has for you, that's what we're talking about. So I believe that it's very likely that there may be some of us in this room, if not all of us, that maybe need to repent of some bad intentions and some bad motives. Some things that we're just off. Maybe it's not a lot. Maybe it's just that two degrees. Maybe we got past the rumble strip and we're riding down the guardrail. Like, I'm still on the road. <laughs> For the moment. So let me just take a moment here. What's the difference between an apology and repentance? Because sometimes we can just be like, oh God, I'm sorry. My bad. <laughs> How many of y'all remember the show with, uh, uh, what was that? show called with urkel some of y'all have no idea what i'm talking about family matters did i do that <laughs> how many of you know what i'm talking about you ever felt that way with the lord be like did i do that again i'm sorry it's like whoops my bad <laughs> repent means god i realize that i have sinned against you david said it this way i've sinned against you and you alone Repentance is a U-turn. It is, I'm moving this way, and it's, I'm sorry, I repent, I ask for forgiveness, and I'm going to turn, and I'm going to begin to walk in a different path. That's repentance. Let me say it this way. Repentance without movement in a different direction is just an apology. But an apology really has no power. True heart repentance, is there's power in that. There's change in that. There's like transformational. I, I sent my dad a video this week that I saw, and it was really neat. And I sent it to him. I said, hey, I just wanted to thank you and mom. And I sent him this video clip that I'd seen. And it made this statement. It says that when you start talking about generations of things, so many times we live like by the calendar. God is a generational God. We think in years, God thinks in millennials. And that's why he says to the third, fourth, fifth generations. We don't think like that. 
God identified himself not as the God of Abraham, but of of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Three generations. But there was this clip, and I thought it was really interesting, though. It said that, and I won't get the phrasing of it exactly right, but basically it said that when you do things right, the parent's miracle becomes the kid's normal. The parent's miracle becomes their kid's normal. And then in the third generation, they have no idea that the miracle was ever needed because their normal is so normal. See, every one of us have the capacity to change our family history. I don't care how you, what family origin you may come from, you have the ability to change, not you in and of yourself, by the help and the ministry and the work of the Holy Spirit, you are not who you've been assigned to be. You're, you're defined by the one who paid the price for you. So this is important to understand these things. And sake of time, I'm not going to read these verses, but I would encourage you to write them down. Psalms 24, verse 3 through 6. It talks about, it says, who can go into the presence of God? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. And, and there's more there, but I would encourage you to go read these verses. What's the criteria of going into the Lord's presence? A pure heart. A right motive. God, I want you, not just everything that you do for me. James chapter 4, verse 7 through 10. Just jot it down. You can go read it later. Gives us the instructions. It says, submit yourself to God. Submit, surrender, give way, yield, submit to God. And so many times we want to, we want to quote the next part of the verse, which is resist the devil and he will flee. Maybe we need to do the first part. First, and too many times we want to be like, devil, leave me alone. Take your hands off my stuff. Leave my kids alone. Leave my money alone. Leave me alone. Go back to the first part of the verse. Submit yourself to the Lord. Because just like it happened with Simon, he wanted the power of God, but he did not want the relationship that was required to have the power. And so many times we want to ask God to move. We want to ask God to work. But we just don't want to submit ourselves to him. And I would actually submit to you this. Is that you're resisting the devil would be much more productive if you would submit to the Lord first. Why? Because then I'm not just like, devil, leave me alone. Stop it. No, when I go submit to God... There's a power that comes in that all of a sudden that, hey, that it's the Lord who's backing me up. It's not just me going and saying, oh, this has to stop. No, my prayers change. Why? Because now I'm not expecting what I do to affect my prayers. I'm trusting in a holy God who is all powerful and all knowing, sees, knows everything. Now, what I don't want to do is to create a paranoia in you. It's like, I'm I'm just a worm in the dirt. No, you're not. You were, but you're not. So you don't want to have a sin consciousness about you, but you also don't want to be righteously arrogant. And they're extremes. Both of them are extremes. There's a, 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 book, a scripture in the book of Proverbs that says that God delights in just scales. In other words, he likes balance, order. And there has to be a tension between these two things of, God, I need you desperately and God, I'm a new creation in Christ. And I need to hold on to both of those things. 
Behold, all things are passed away, but I still got this, the capacity of stupidity. And, and it's a tension that I have to hold. And many times what happens is, is that we want to swing and just hold on to one side. Well, I know who I am in Christ. Yeah, but you've forgotten how dumb you can be. <laughs> swing back. Because you're over here quoting, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. Uh, you know, uh, when I pray, all these things begin to happen. And, and you wonder why it's not very effective. Because there's an ulterior motive. And what I'm telling you is, is I, if I have an understanding, and let me say it this way. If I keep my eye, one eye on who I was before Jesus, that I know what I wasn't. And I know what I couldn't do. And I know what a mess I was. But Jesus. And there's real power when I remember both sides of that coin. Because I never want to forget how desperately I needed Jesus to free me. And how desperately I needed Jesus to save me. And I never want to lose sight. That, and that's why I never want to lose sight of what it means when somebody else gets saved. Because many times it just kind of becomes like a blip on the radar of our life. It's like, oh, somebody got saved. Yeah, but if it was you, it, it would matter. But we have forgotten what it meant to, got, to get saved. Therefore, we don't even really celebrate when somebody else gets saved. But yet the Bible says when one sinner turns, all of heaven begins to rejoice. And in church, we're like... That's wonderful. Mm. Praise you, Jesus. And heaven's having a ruckus party. The last part here of James says that we're to humble ourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. When I submit myself to God and I humble myself. Humility is a choice that we have to pick. Let me read you a scripture here in Psalms 139, starting in verse 23. It says, God, I invite your uh, seeking or searching gaze into my heart. This is important. You got to invite the Lord to come in. And I don't care if you're saved, unsaved, not sure where you are. You got to make the invitation. God will not burst the doors down to come in. And so the psalmist is writing and he says, God, I invite your searching gaze into my heart. It says, examine me through and through. Nothing's off limits. Every door is unlocked. It says, find out everything that may be hidden within me. Let me just help you. There are things on the inside of every one of us that we're not even aware of. Because that door has been locked so long that it's like, Sealed. We forgot that there's even a door there. So that's why we need to ask the Lord. Find out everything that may be hidden in me. Put me to the test and sift through all of my anxious cares. I could preach a whole message on that line alone. Sift through all my anxious cares. See if there is any path of pain I'm walking on. You headed for the tree line? The Holy Spirit will tell you. Tree head. Is there anything that I'm doing anywhere that I'm heading right now? Any decisions that I'm making that are going to result in pain? You know, here's the problem with pain is that many times we're unaware of pain until we have it. 
see if there is any path of pain that I'm currently walking on. It says, and lead me back to your glorious and everlasting way. The path that brings me back to you. God, if I'm going down a road that I don't want to go, I just need you to tell me. Holy Spirit, I need you to lead me back. This would be a great scripture to take and to begin to pray over yourself. Again, I'm not, I don't want to make you paranoid. I don't want to make you insecure. Does God love me? Absolutely, 100% yes. There's nothing else that, that God could do for you to display his love. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. Right? That whoever would believe in him would not perish but would have eternal life. So that's an Old Testament scripture. Let me give you a New Testament scripture. So we're wrapping up today. First John 1, 6 says this. It says, if we claim that we share life with him, being Christ, if we claim that we share the life of Christ, but we keep walking in the realm of darkness, we are fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. If we claim that we share life with him, but we continue walking in the realm of darkness... We live in this space, this chasm, if you will, between two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of God, but there's the kingdom of darkness. And the Bible says that we've been delivered out of the kingdom of darkness and into the light of Christ. But there may be some areas of our life that Christ, we've not allowed Christ to touch yet. We've not allowed him to redeem. We've not allowed him to heal. And look, you don't need to go on some great exploration journey to find out what it is. Ask the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, search me, know me, sift me so that I can know what's off. So that's James chapter 1 verse 6 and verse 8. It says, if we boast that we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and are strangers to the truth. In other words, we all got stuff. The the simplest definition of sin is just missing the mark. Here's the standard, and I didn't make it. I think many times that we're more bothered by our sin than God is. Not to minimize our sin, that's not what I'm saying. But I think we get stuck and we begin to identify by our sin. And God is just like, hey, if you just repent of that, the power of that would be broken. Like, just own it. God, it's me again. Fifteenth time this week. And we, we'll even start to feel shameful about that. The enemy will start talking to us about those things. You, you're still coming back though, aren't you? Which means that you're better than where you started and you're putting... Remember last week, one of my points was you got to be in proximity. You got to position yourself for God to work you got to position yourself in spite of your failings. God, this is my 147th time this week. I did it again, but I'm here by your grace. And I know that I'm keeping count, but I know you're not. That might be some good advice. Why don't you stop reminding God of your sin? Because he doesn't remember it anyways. And why don't you start letting him remind you who he's created you to be? 
but it's okay to come back and acknowledge it. I mean, they've proven it. Psychologically, it's proven that confession is good for the soul. But you know, confession is also good for the spirit too. So he says, if we boast that we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and are strangers to the truth. But if we freely admit our sins, and I love this part, I highlighted it just to make it stand out a little bit. If we freely admit our sins, when his light uncovers them, when the Holy Spirit stirs, when the Holy Spirit convicts, when the Holy Spirit begins to highlight an area of my life, that's the area he wants to work in, not the other 15 things you're aware of. Just deal with what he talks to you about. What I found sometimes is that the Holy Spirit will deal with me in an area that I'm like, that's so stupid. I got this big area, got this big thing, and you want to talk to me about that, that little attitude, that little thought. That's, that's, it's insignificant. But if I'm wise, I, he's the God, not me. So it says, when we freely admit our sins, when his light uncovers them, he will be faithful to forgive us every time. First time. 147 times. If I freely confess my sins, if I admit it, if I own it, when he uncovers it, he's faithful to forgive me every time. God is just to forgive us of our sins because of Christ. And he will continue to cleanse us. See, some of you right now are in a place where you got saved one time years ago. And you remember that moment where it was like, man, all the way to the world, the way to sin was lifted off of you. The problem is you just haven't gone back to the altar lately to say, I need you to continue to free me from all of my sin and the shame and the weight of my decisions. And, and so there's, the, there's this uh, continuality that has to happen. God, I, I, I'm back at the altar. I, I'm back in your presence. That I need Jesus and you need Jesus just like the day that you first got saved. You don't need him any less today. And if anything, you might need him more. I mean, you could pray the salvation prayer every day of your life. If for no other reason to remind you, I'm surrendered to him. Jesus, today, this morning, I give you my heart. I give you my mind. I surrender myself to you. I thank you that you've forgiven me of all of my sins. I thank you that you've healed me of all of of disease. Father, I thank you that you brought me into relationship with you. So, Father, I receive of you right now. I thank you that I have an eternal home with you. You could pray that prayer every day. Every day. Because it's a reminder. I need Jesus today. I need Jesus today. I need Jesus today. See, I believe that when the Holy Spirit brings conviction, that there also comes with that conviction the power to overcome the very thing that he highlighted. It's not just me and myself. I believe the power of God is at work. When conviction comes, I believe there's, there's power waiting on the other side of our yes. God, I acknowledge that I, I, I've not done well there. God, I repent of my sins. It's more than sorry. God, I want to move into a different direction. I'm going to do that U-turn. And Man, I've been moving in this direction. I know you've been speaking to me, but Holy Spirit, I hear your voice. And so Holy Spirit, I'm going to, I, I repent. And I'm going to turn and I'm going to start moving away. And I'm going to start moving in those directions. I'm going to begin to do those things that you're stirring up in me. And it's going to be step by step by step that I'm going to experience a sustainable move of God in my life. Not just a, a blip on the radar in the span of my life. Oh, remember that one time that I, I felt the presence of God and it was awesome and I felt so light and free. And then I went home and everything went back to normal. That is not what we want. 
We want transformation from the power of God. So when conviction comes, the power of the Holy Spirit comes. So I want to take just a few moments here, and I've asked the band just to play. We're not singing anything, but I want you to take a moment. Everybody just close your eyes. And we want to give the the Lord a moment to speak to us, to stir up in us. We want want to invite the Lord to, to bring conviction into our hearts. I mean, one of the keys of revival is actually repentance. It's not spiritual goosebumps. It's like this reality of, God, I need you. That's the birthplace of revival. So I want to take this just a few moments here. I'm going to pray. But I want this to be a time of really allowing the Holy Spirit to, to highlight some areas of our life. And my encouragement to you is to ask the Lord, number one, for forgiveness and repent of the areas of your life that you've missed it. This isn't for shame or condemnation. This is to get us in a place so that God can work. So when something comes to your mind, it could be an action, an attitude, it could be unforgiveness, it could be a lot of things. It could be a desire that's just a little bit off. It's like, man, God, I I want what you want but I I want it for my purpose. Well, let's take off our purpose and just say, God, I want everything that you have for me. I want nothing that you don't want for me. And as as the Holy Spirit starts just highlighting those things, just begin to repent of it. Spirit, you're welcome in this place this morning. Holy Spirit, we invite you in. And just as the psalmist said, that we ask you to examine us, examine our hearts, examine our lives. Holy Spirit, we ask you to reveal everything that's hidden within us, that's holding us back from everything that Jesus has for us. Sift through our our, our thoughts and our intentions and our motives and Holy Spirit, we want everything that you have for us. We ask you to lead us in the way of Christ, to to lead us back into a a sincere, pure relationship with the Lord, removing our ulterior motives and removing the things that are hanging up and, and holding us back. But Holy Spirit, I thank you as people are responding this morning to your conviction. I thank you that there's a power of Christ as at work right now in every single person. That Holy Spirit, what you highlight, you never do to embarrass or to bring shame. But Holy Spirit, you, you highlight things and bring them to our, to our minds so that we can recognize them, so that we can repent of them, so that the power of Christ can come in and work in us so that our past really is no more. So Holy Spirit, I ask you to cleanse our minds, our conscience, our thoughts. Those things that the enemy tries to remind us about, Father, I thank you that every one of our sins, that when we repent of them, Father, they come under the blood of Jesus and you remember them no more. And so, Father, we just come in line with your your attitude. If you don't remember it, then why should we? It doesn't have to define me. It doesn't have to label me. But, Father, I thank you that I'm free to be who you've called me to be, who you've created me to be, that you brought me into relationship with you so that I can have the fullness of Christ. Father, your word declares where the spirit of the Lord is, that there is freedom, that there is liberty, that there is lightness, that there's not heaviness. 
But Father, I thank you for just a renewal. And, and Father God, just stirring up in us a desire for more of you. Father, we want more of you. We want more of your presence. Not in a preconceived idea, but Father, whatever you have, we say yes. We say yes. We say that I want what you have for me. Father, I want you to pour out your spirit. Father, that we just... Uh, if you want to, you're welcome to lift up your hands this morning. And I'm going to continue to pray. Father, we ask you just to fill us up, to give us more of your presence. Father, we're not satisfied to just have life as we've always known it. We're not satisfied to just uh, exist in our Christian walk the way we've always had it. But, Father, we want more of your presence. We want more of who you are, Father, because it's in your presence that there's fullness of joy. It's in your presence, Father, that there's peace. It's in your presence, Father, that there is, is, is real power available made to us. And so, Father, we just open ourselves up to you. And we say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, whatever you desire to do in us, Father, our response to you is always yes. It's always yes to you. Father, we thank you for it now in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, Father, we thank you for it. Praise you, Father. Glory to you, Father. You alone are worthy. You alone are worthy of our praise. You alone are the one who paid the price of our sin. You're the one who paid the price and, and, and unlocked freedom for us. So, Father, we worship you this morning. Father, we magnify and exalt you. Father, that you alone are God and there is no other. There is no one else who compares to you. There's no one who's worthy of our worship and our focus and our attention more than you. But, Father, we thank you. That, Father, that when we look to you, Father, that your, your, your presence comes down. Father, we thank you. Father, on Sunday, but on Tuesday, on a Thursday, on a Friday, whenever we need you, Father, we thank you. And Father, you're our very present help. You're our right now help in the moment that we need you. So, Father, we thank you for who you are. Father, for all of your just amazing love towards us.